Hey, faithful listener. Thanks for tuning in to the P40 Ministries daily podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping you grow spiritually so you can grow personally. Let's grow together by building a consistent Bible reading routine. This is Jen, your host, and today we will be discussing the book of Matthew. Hey, everybody, you have tuned in to the P40 Ministries podcast with your host, Jen. And uh, one thing I want to mention before we begin this podcast episode today is why I call you guys faithful listeners. If you have heard any of my other podcast episodes, then you would know that I often call everybody faithful listeners. Now, the thing is about the term faithful listeners is you guys aren't my faithful listeners. In a sense, you are not faithful listeners of the P40 Ministries podcast. Rather, I call you guys faithful listeners because you have faith and you are listening to the Bible. But not that you are faithfully listening to the P40 Ministries podcast. That is not my uh, goal with that term that I call you guys. I'm also a faithful listener. I am listening to the Bible and I have faith. (laughs) So that is why I call you guys faithful listeners all the time. And I just wanted to let you guys know about that. I think I've mentioned that before, but I had somebody ask me about that recently. And uh, I just wanted to reiterate that before we begin our episode for today. So today we are going to be discussing Matthew chapter 27 verses 38 through 50 and we will be talking about Jesus's death. So let's go ahead and read uh, that passage of scripture and as always I will be reading out of the WEB version of the Bible this morning but you guys should read out of whatever version you prefer to read out of but also don't forget to grab that uh, cup of coffee and or that cup of tea and let's just go ahead and jump right in. Then there were two robbers crucified with him, one on his right hand and one on his left. Those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests, also mocking with the scribes, the Pharisees and the elders, said, He saved others, but he can't save himself. If he is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who were also crucified with him cast on him the same reproach. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From Psalm 22, verse 1. Some of them who stood there when they heard it said, this man is calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with vinegar, and put it on a reed, and gave him a drink. The rest said, Let him be. Let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Jesus cried again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. We actually read verse 38 on Thursday, but I thought I should reread it so that uh, I could give you guys a quick recap as to what's happening. So obviously, Jesus is now on the cross. He is being crucified by the people and he was on a very public road. So this area was Golgotha or Calvary, and it was near a very well-traveled road so that people could see and humiliate the people that were hanging on the cross. Because hanging on the cross was not a typical 
way of death. It was a torture. In fact, it was a torture for what the Romans believed to be the least of all peoples, subhumans practically is what they believed that crucifixion was for. And so Jesus is now being considered a subhuman and he is up on the cross. He was nailed to the cross in his hands and feet and he is being tortured both physically and uh, mentally by everybody who is walking past. It says here that he was crucified between the two, uh, two criminals, basically, and we don't know what these criminals did. It doesn't say, but they were criminals who were being crucified right along with Jesus. And so it says here that Jesus was put in the middle, possibly to make it assume that Jesus was the worst of the three criminals. Who knows? The, pe the people who crucified Jesus, the Romans, were just absolutely horrific to him. They scourged him. They tortured him. They abused him. They mocked him. They did all sorts of crazy things to Jesus. So now they're possibly just to break him, like not physically, but break him mentally. They put him in the middle of these two criminals to make it seem like he is the worst of the three. It's possible that they did that. And so Jesus is front and center. So everybody walking past this road can look up and see Jesus being crucified there on the cross, completely humiliated and completely naked. So it says that uh, everybody was mocking him. So people were gathered around Jesus. And I don't know if that was typical to do that or not, but maybe it wasn't. But because Jesus was so popular, it might have been more of a crowd around Jesus than a typical criminal would have been. So it's possible that there was a crowd around Jesus because he was a very uh, popular person. I mean, even think about it nowadays with the cancel culture and everything that's happening online. You know, the second a celebrity does anything and they're down in the dumps, people like to get on their profiles and really, really uh, drive in the nails, basically, and uh, hurt that celebrity as much as they possibly can. And I'm not saying everybody does that or anything, but you can see that that happens nowadays with, with everything that goes on on social media. And of course, you know, humans have never changed. So several hundred years ago, when Jesus is being crucified, all these people are standing around him saying, you know, oh, look at this really popular man who was once so great. Look at him now. You know, they're, they're, they're really making sure to be there to torture him even more, in a sense. It says that to the people that were walking past blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroyed the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And we don't know who these people were that were passing by. It could have been just regular travelers. It could have been some of his followers that weren't, were no longer his followers. It could have been the chief priest. It could have been anybody that knew enough about Jesus. And it says that they were wagging their heads. And that alone just irritates me so bad. <laughs> that head wag is so annoying. And so these people are walking past him and wagging their heads at him. And saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So these people are just being as cruel as they possibly can to Jesus. And being very annoying also. I mean, just the love Jesus had that he was up there on the cross. I mean, imagine having the amount of power that Jesus had and letting people do this to you. Just think about it in that humanly filter. Jesus had so much power. He was God. He was up on the cross. He could have easily came down, easily restored himself. I mean, he healed people all the time. He could have easily healed himself and walked away. And 
slapped every single one of those people that were blaspheming him. But he didn't do that. He stayed up there on the cross, allowing these people to walk past and do this to him while knowing their names, the names of every single person that are walking past him and saying, I am dying for that person. Like, that, that's just so loving. So he's staying up on the cross, not because he was stuck up there with, with the nails, but because of love, because he could have easily come down. And so he, he's up on the cross out of love for everybody, becoming that sacrifice that we talked about a few weeks ago and why Jesus had to be a sacrifice. And he's, he's doing that so that all of us, you and me, and everybody back then, could someday live with God in eternity if we choose to believe this and take the free gift that Jesus gave us on that cross. So, of course, the chief priests are down on the ground, and they're looking up at him and the scribes and the Pharisees and the elders, and they're saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now, if he wants him. Oh, these people are so irritating. They got what they want. Jesus is up on the cross, and yet they're still just just driving those nails in even harder on Jesus. And yet Jesus is just taking it. He's just taking it. He's not saying anything to these people. He can hear every single word they're saying. He knows every single thought in their heads. He's not saying one single solitary thing. He's just taking it. So they are denying the fact that he is God, of course. And it says that the robbers who were crucified with him also cast on him the same reproach. So you remember that there were two criminals with him. And it says at this point, both the criminals were also mocking Jesus. Now, later on, I think it's in Luke, they mention that one of the criminals ends up actually coming to God, ends up repenting while on the cross and deciding to basically follow Jesus in his last few moments on earth. But at the beginning, it's very clear here in Matthew that both of these criminals are making fun of Jesus and mocking him right along with everybody else. And so we know that Jesus was on the cross for about six hours because that's what Mark says. Mark says that Jesus was crucified at nine o'clock in the morning. And then here in Matthew, it says that Jesus died at three o'clock in the afternoon. So that's six hours Jesus was hanging on the cross, taking all of this. And of course, people are still standing around during the entire time, making fun of him and everything. So during that six hours, one of those criminals decided to change his mind. And he came to Christ. But at the beginning, he's doing everything along with everybody else. But one of the reasons I think that he changed his mind halfway through is what happens next. It says that in verse 45, there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And that is in verse 45. It mentions a, a darkness from noon to three o'clock. So this is the later half of the time that Jesus is on the cross for three hours of the last half. This was supernatural. This was not something that was typical because Passover is always done on a full moon. And if there's a full moon, that means that the sun is on the other side. There could be no eclipse because the moon has to pass in front of the sun in order for the sun to have an eclipse. So something happened that there was just darkness. Now, there was a few Greek historians, and they were, they were secular. They were not Christians. And one of them was named Phlegon. 
and he wrote the uh, the book of the Olympiads or something like that. And he mentions in that book that there was a darkness for three hours over the entire land during a full moon. And it lines up almost perfectly with everything that happened during the crucifixion. This, this Greek historian mentions all of this. There, there is a lot of evidence, actually, from different historians during this time period in, in the first century that talk about this crazy eclipse, this darkness that happened that was completely supernatural. And I believe this Phlegon guy, you can actually look him up. I looked him up and read all of his stuff. Well, not all of his stuff, but the stuff pertaining to this. And uh, you can look it up. And he says that there was a darkness that the entire day became nighttime and you could see stars in the sky. That is how crazy this was. And this guy was in the first century. And many of these other Greek historians that talked about this were also in the first century. And mentioned, I believe the same man also mentioned that there was an earthquake right after the darkness, which is also what happened during the crucifixion. So there's actually quite a lot of historical evidence that lines up here with this particular eclipse. And you can definitely look this guy up if you're more interested in reading about that. His name is Phlegon the Historian with a PH. <laughs> and so this, this entire thing here is showing God's wrath on this entire situation. God is supernaturally taking the sun away. And we just talked about that actually in uh, Exodus uh, chapter that we just did, which is kind of funny. So God can do this, obviously. He can take light away from places. It's it's happened quite a few times in scripture. And so God takes the light away. And the day in the middle of the noontime, it becomes dark. And you can see the stars in the sky is basically what that Phlegon guy says. And isn't that crazy that God does that? So if you were a thief hanging on the cross... <laughs> And all of a sudden, this supernatural thing is happening and you're seeing all of these different things happening with Jesus and his followers and just all sorts of stuff. What would you be doing? Would you be changing your mind? Because I think probably a lot of people would be. Now, not everybody does, though. It says here that people are still making fun of him, but I think it actually kind of cuts down a little bit because all of a sudden they're not exactly mentioning a lot of people saying stuff to Jesus anymore as the supernatural, crazy, scary thing is happening here. And it says here that about the ninth hour, Jesus cries out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, or Lama Sabachthani, depending on what version you read. And that is actually a quote from Psalm 22, verse 1 where David is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so the people who are down on the ground, listening to Jesus, seeing everything that's happening, are saying this man is calling out to Elijah, who was a great prophet back in the Old Testament, which we haven't discussed yet. And so they're saying he's calling out to Elijah. So they're not even listening to him. He was not saying Elijah. He was saying Eli, Eli, which means my God, my God. And so it says that uh, one of the people that were on the ground ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, put it on a reed and gave him a drink. 
And I don't exactly know what the significance of this particular part is. But somebody was moved enough to want to give Jesus a drink. And it was vinegar. It was not vinegar mixed with gall or with alcohol or anything like that. This was plain vinegar. So it says that the somebody was moved by what was happening with Jesus, that they ran and gave him a drink. And so it says the rest were on the ground and they were like, let him alone, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to save him. So there were some people that were moved by everything that was happening here, both by everything that was happening with Jesus, how he's not saying anything, even though he could speak very clearly, he could speak. He was not saying anything or standing up for himself. This crazy eclipse of darkness was happening. Jesus was saying these words that were moving people. So some of the people were very clearly moved by everything that was happening to Jesus on the cross. And other people were so stubborn that they, they couldn't even let Jesus have a drink of vinegar. And, you know, vinegar is not good. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it is. I really like pickles and everything like that. But straight vinegar is not very delicious, in my opinion. And so they couldn't even let Jesus have a drink of vinegar. This is, this is the difference between the two people. And I believe that is what Matthew is portraying here. The difference in the hearts of the people, the people who were open to truth and the people who were not open to truth. So it says here that after the people were so upset about Jesus saying these things and still mocking him and being like, let's see if Elijah comes to save him, that Jesus cries again with a loud voice and he gives up his spirit. In other words, he chooses to die. So he cries again. If you read John, John mentions that Jesus says it is finished when he cries. And John was actually there at the crucifixion. So Jesus clearly cries with a loud voice, it is finished, screams it, and basically chooses to die. And that is when everything is done. This is what Jesus was so upset about. The fact that he had to be separated from God. He was claiming that from that psalm, God, God, why have you forsaken me, basically? So this was the cup of wrath. If you remember that that episode we talked about quite a while ago when Jesus was in the garden, when he was so upset and saying, God, please don't let me drink of this cup. This is what Jesus was talking about right here. The fact that every single sin had to be laid on him and that he had to drink of that cup. And this right here is where he is drinking of that cup, basically, and becoming the sacrifice for humanity during all of this. So finally, Jesus says, it is finished. It's all done. I have done what I needed to do. And now I'm, I'm done. And he decides to die. He chooses to die. This entire thing is just really showing the amount of love that Jesus had for humanity, just through what he put up with, just with, you know, everybody passing him and mocking him and doing everything and Jesus not even saying anything to defend himself and everything like that. And so this is just showing Jesus's love for humanity and how he became the sacrifice for us because the wages of sin, which is what we chose to do in the very beginning in the garden, is death. Jesus became that death payment for us so that we don't have to pay for our own sins in that way. 
because when we do pay for our own sins in that way, we become separated from God because God has no sins in him whatsoever. And so we can't dwell with God who has no sins when we are so sinful ourselves. So that is why Jesus had to come down and to become the sacrifice so that we can live happily ever after pretty much. This is our happily ever after. As odd as this sounds, as terrible as this is, we should be thanking Jesus for this sacrifice that he did for us on the cross. Now, of course, Jesus is now going to be in the grave for a couple days before he is resurrected once again to show that he has the power over death, which is what his entire point of this, uh, this sacrifice was, to show us that he has power over death and that we don't need to die in our sins, but rather we have life forever and ever and ever. And so that is the point of Jesus coming back again on the third morning. So we will talk more about that, of course, in the next couple days. So join me on Thursday for another discussion out of Matthew chapter 27 as we discuss more about Jesus's death and resurrection on the cross. Now, friends, if you haven't gotten a chance to look at the Alive Coloring Devotionals, please take a look at those. I will drop a link to them in the bio of this podcast episode. But friends and faithful listeners, happy listening and God bless. Thank you.